0: Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Marketing and Other Markets podcast. Today, we actually have a special bonus episode. It was previously recorded only a couple days ago, and it features Josh Smith and Kevin Polakovich, two real estate top performers who have mastered the art of passive income through rental properties. I hope you enjoy.
1: Okay, I want to jump in, and I I think probably a, a great way to start this is that Um, First of all, this is being sponsored from uh, the loan officer group here at Treadstone. Um, You guys were all invited by one of our loan officers here. We have uh, 15 loan officers here um, at Treadstone and super proud of the group we have. Every one of our loan officers are experts in not only mortgages, but all the stuff that we're going to talk about today. They are um, professionals. We're very, very selective on who gets to represent our organization. So whoever you work with here at Treadstone, please feel free to reach out to them, to ask any questions on any of the stuff that we talked about today. They are very well versed in rental property. They're very well versed in the programs that are available. They're very well versed in all this concepts that we talk about. So, by all means, please reach out to that loan officer that invited you and looking forward to, to doing this. So we started Giants of Execution um, probably about 18 months ago. I think we've probably done three or four different things. Matt came to me and said, hey, would you and Josh be willing to share your story uh, regarding rental property and how you've been able to acquire the properties you have um, over the period of time we have? and after a little pushing, uh, finally agreed to yes. Um, I'm an open book. Uh, I hope those of you that know me that know an open book, Josh is an open book. We have made a ton of mistakes over the last 12 years. We've done some things really well, we've made a whole bunch of mistakes. So we're gonna share a little bit of our story um, in what we like to joke about a 12-year uh, overnight success story, right, Jeff? 12, 12 years?
2: Hard. 12 years, overnight, overnight, just just a lot, like that.
1: A lot, 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 of, lot of sleepless nights along the way, but some, some really exciting things. We've been able to, about how many doors or units are we up to, Jeff? Uh,
2: 200 plus or minus. For
1: 200, yeah. uh, everything's within a mile of downtown Grand Rapids. Uh, we bought our first rental property 12 years ago, and we've been able to acquire those over a period of time. I think a big thing when you hear... Our story, I think Josh and I are not the guys that started on third base. Um, When I say third base, hey, um, trust fund kid, you got all this money, and of course you've been able to figure things out. That's not at all. We are bootstrap guys. Um, There's more than once in the last 12 years we've had all the chips in and then some along the way and bump their heads along the way so when we talk about these things when we talk about 200 units that's not really what we want to talk about today we want to talk about acquiring number one and acquiring number two and acquiring number three and along with that we want to show a path for you and also your clients on how to simply become a millionaire from passive income owning rental property And the majority of participants here are real estate professionals. So if it's for you personally or any one of your clients, we're going to share some tactics, some specifics that work well with us. We're going to brainstorm and have some different ideas. We're going to show at the end a really simple path to get rich slowly. Right?
2: Yes, get rich slow. That's our that's our, uh, that's our piece. It doesn't, doesn't happen overnight. That's for
1: sure. This is not a $200 seminar. We're going to show you how to do this and buy our thing at the end. This is full transparency. Um, I do not have a scarcity mindset. Josh does not have a scarcity mindset. There are more opportunities out there than there are people who are going to take advantage of it. So that's the point why we're sharing this. We're sharing this to help you as a professional. Those of you that aren't real estate professionals, we're, we're here to share this and share some of our successes. So, I'm going to start with that. We're going to cover three key points today. We're going to talk about a business model. Number one, what is your business model? Finding a business model, finding a need. So, we're going to share a little bit about our business model, what we found that has worked for us. We're going to talk about some other business models that we've studied and we've looked at and seen people have great success. So, pieces to find your model. What is your model? What are you going to be? If this is something you decide to do, what it's going to be. If it is a client of yours, what, what is their model? Help student reduction. Right number one is model. We're going to talk about number two. It is all about debt reduction. It is all about debt reduction. It is about getting your getting the mortgage paid down free and clear as, as fast as it is. I'll give you the extreme example. Josh and I own about 200 properties. It is a side hustle for us. We own 200 properties and it is a side hustle. So if you think I buy one, I buy two, I buy three, I buy four, and then I'm going to ride off and the sunset is going to be great and everything's going to be awesome. It, it, it's not It's not our model. We're going to talk about that in detail. So that's number two. Don't quit your day job. All about debt reduction. And the third piece, we're going to talk about some ideas and some strategies and things that we look at. So Josh and I spent a good hour or two a week and strategizing on opportunities that we see out there and we're going to be an open book and we're going to talk about some opportunities that we see out there, some things that we would look at um, and just kind of brainstorm some different things. At the end we're going to share a 10-year get rich slowly plan. 10-year get rich slowly. We're going to share that and we're going to feel some questions at the end. So if that sounds good, uh, I'm going to turn over to Josh. So Josh, uh, my business partner, why don't you Maybe tell a little story about how we met, how we got things started, where this twelve-year overnight success story started. Maybe a little stress about buying unit number one, and and some fun stories like that. We'll do a little back and forth.
2: Sure, sounds great. Yeah, it's uh, boy, yeah. Um, So, story, I guess, I think would be helpful. Um, Background, a little bit. Um, I grew up in the real estate construction development business knew from a early age that i didn't really kind of wanted to go do my own thing, the entrepreneurial spirit in me, if you will, and so I uh, got my builder's license when I was in high school, got my uh, real estate sales license the year I graduated high school and uh, started putting myself through college and uh, selling selling real estate uh, as a as a real estate agent um, and stepping out of class in college to take phone calls and put, put transactions together and going back in and trying to do some homework and whatever else. So, um, a, uh, a, another real estate agent in uh, my office, uh, said, Hey, you're new in the business. You got to meet this guy. Um, he just did this great deal on this, um, on this transaction. Kevin, you probably remember more about it than I do. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, Kathy connected us and and that's where that was basically the genesis of our friendship and our relationship and ultimately our partnership. Um, and we, we, we did uh, a lot of different things. We built uh, cottages up on Lake Michigan, million dollar uh, cottages and, and did that fully furnished and uh, did that for probably early two thousands. And we finished our final awesome fully furnished zero bluff, $2 million, uh, place in uh, September of 2008. Like for those of you that remember and know you could not remember, couldn't, couldn't have been worse timing, right? And so that was basically when we looked at each other and said, you know what, this, this model's broken. What, what's the next What's the next thing because this isn't working. Luckily, we were in a really good spot. We exited out of that property. We always had our day job. We always paid down debt. We always rolled profits. But that was the creation and the start of the Fulton Group, and we decided, hey, now's the time to uh, buy some properties, right, Kevin? So I, what yeah. I'm just to get them up to yeah. the start, yeah, yeah, no.
1: And I, th- I think the piece to talk about that is that we, we, when we, we were in we were in the spec home businesses that we looked at, and and we're going to talk about that a little bit as we go through today. We don't like flips. We don't like spec homes, and 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 that comes from a, a piece of. We pushed all the chips in to build our, our first spec home when we had first met um, up near Ludington between Ludington and Pentwater. And it wasn't a lot. I mean, all of our chips were scraping together $60,000, my $30,000 equity line, Josh's $10,000 equity line, had a little money in the college, probably some money. And we, we came up with enough money and bought the first one. Because we had day jobs, when we made money in the first property, we said, hey, look at there's $100,000 left. Awesome, let's roll out the next one. So the next one we got our $60,000 plus $100,000, we put $160,000 down, we do that. We did that over seven years, guys. And the only reason why we were able to get out and not lose everything was because we rolled our profits from one deal to the next, to the next, to the next. If anything, we continued to put money in as we went. So when the bottom fell out, we were in a unique position Unfortunately, that we were able to cover all the loss to get the properties done and to get sold. And I, I think we continued to make payments for eight years on property that we sold. We got done, we got out from underneath it, and we had it. But had we not rolled that profit again and again, we would have ended up roadkill on the side of, on, on, the, on the sidelines, like so many people here, because we, if we were pulling cash out. So a lot of that comes to us changing and going to where the market's gonna go. So something to talk about when we talk about what your model is, we're all out looking at real estate every single day. We don't have pensions. We, it's tough to get a 401k. It's tough to pay your your, your income taxes at the end of the year being self-employed, get a loan of extra money and get in your SEP IRA or something else. So what this is is a piece to say, let's buy some real estate, let's buy what we know. I mean, Warren Buffett, the greatest investor of all time, he buys what he knows, he buys what he likes. You guys are looking at real estate every single day. So so find something and find your niche. So for us at that time, 12 years ago, we looked around and um, I've been in the mortgage business for coming on 20 years. For the first eight years, I looked at a lot of rental properties and I got really close a lot of times and I decided not to do it. And I didn't do it because I didn't want the water heater phone call. I don't have the heart to pick someone and throw them out in the street. I just—it just wasn't something I wanted to do. But I looked at deal after deal after deal. But the market put us into a spot that you had to buy. It had—it gotten so ridiculously low that it, it was a time to act. So as we looked at some different models, we decided our model was going to be to chase after. Um, a group that we thought was underserved in the market. And the group underserved, if you think about Ann Arbor, um, East Lansing, you think about these big colleges, you think about these as college town. Grand Rapids, Josh, we we did this before. We used to have these numbers, 45,000, 50,000. 45,
2: 60,000, something like that, yeah.
1: Full-time college students in and around the Grand Rapids area. There was not a group that was targeting this demographic. We will obviously rent to anyone, but we decided we wanted to go after providing amenities, proximity to downtown, proximity to college campuses, and create an environment that we could take some properties and turn them into what really started early on is who gravitated towards our products were college kids. In time that evolved into to, to our different pieces. So it was our it was our first one. We bought we bought our first one. I remember it well. I called Josh and said, hey. We got to do this. We got to. We got to jump in. He's like, "Yeah, hey, we're trying to get rid of this house up on Lake Michigan that we're upside down on." What are you talking about? I got, I got an idea. We talk about a business partnership with with um, with Josh and I. Um, whether you have a partner when you buy a rental property or you do it in your own, I think it's really important to have a mentor or a sounding board or someone to bounce things off of. I am the gas pedal. Josh is the brake. And somewhere in between is where where we need to be. There's times that Josh is the gas pedal and the brake, but generally speaking, I'm the gas pedal and he's the brake. So between these two it ended up being a really good fit. So, what do you want to talk about around the first the first piece? Uh, so, our first couple properties. I, our goal yeah, was to, I,
2: yeah, I think I think uh, our goal was to. Cr- we really had a commitment to the model. I think Kevin, right? We we sat there to your point. Hey, been in the mortgage business for 20 years and. And we looked at it and there was reasons why we didn't. So I remember sitting and taking a list and saying, okay, here's what the typical landlord business model is, and a laundry list. And we said, what's the exact opposite of that? Or what do we like about that? And what do we not like about that? And we basically, if, we, if I remember correctly, kind of wrote our own playbook and, and developed our own piece. And we were committed to that, that model, right? Um, and that model was things like um, where we wanted to buy. We were committed to that, right? I mean, you, you have that list off the top of your head, Kevin, that we talked yeah. about it yesterday.
1: Yeah, I think where we wanted to buy, uh, what we wanted to buy, find our model. So a little history lesson. Uh, for those of you who've been in real estate a long time, you know this. For those of you who haven't, 2008 and nine were brutal. You've read about it. You've seen it, the, the whole deal. It, it was, There was blood in the streets. The question was, how deep is the blood? Um, it was bad. And the typical rental model has been, and people still teach this, you probably go pay $400 to hear this lesson that I'm going to give you here in a nutshell. This lesson is what led to the crash in 8, 9, and 10. Very little old ladies got thrown out of their house because they got a bad mortgage. The majority of foreclosures, especially in this market, were related to landlords who were highly leveraged. Who ran a business of let's do the minimum we can on this property to generate some cash flow. Let's stretch our payments out 30 years. Let's never pay down the principal. Let's live off of cash flow. So we're living off of cash flow. If I got one property making $200 a month, awesome. Let's get 20 properties. What could go wrong? 20 properties at $200. Oh my gosh, I'm in tall cotton. Life is great. Guess what happens? The mortgage meltdown. House prices go from $200,000 to $100,000 overnight. People can't pay rents. The whole thing collapsed. When you have no equity and you're on a 30-year loan, guess what most of these landlords did? They took the keys, put them in an envelope, sent them back to the bank. So as we came to the market and said, we need to look at doing something different. We need to get to a spot where we're gonna fund a retirement account. We're going to pay down the debt as quick as possible. So that's what started with their models. We wanna do things differently. So everything we're gonna talk about today is related to that to get the debt paid down. I do not know what the rental market looks like 10 years from now. Josh and I feel really good what the rental market looks like over the next five years. In the next five years, we're gonna be darn close to being debt free. And so if rents go from 2,000 to 1,000, guess what? we're still paying the bills, we pay taxes, insurance. If rents go up, rents go down, we're still okay. So we knew early on that was a piece that we wanted to do. So let's walk through, let's walk through, um, I think we should share a couple of different models that you and I have looked at, then let's talk about what our models are and then kind of our our pieces. So we'll go back and forth and kind of talk about a couple of these. I think, I think the one, one of my favorites, when I studied landlords before I bought my first rental property, I found a guy that his model was, he wants to rent properties that tenants are there for 15 years, 10 years, 15 years. He only wanted to rent to people that were going to treat their home, treat that rental property like it was their own home. His expectations were they mowed the lawn. If the plumbing was broke, they had the plumber fix it. If there's some little thing in the house, fix it yourself. He was willing to take a little less money in rent for a long-term stable quality tenant that was going to own that property like his and he had 10 or 15 properties that he did this with and over those 15 years these tenants of him who turned over very seldom paid his mortgage off so that was a really interesting business now that was one that was one that jumped out to me you know josh we didn't even talk about this as we prepped for this call we didn't talk about the mr brigger story and, and, yeah. and the guy and the guy with the pickup truck and the, the, the multi-millionaire next door, and we said 12 years ago, "Oh my gosh, if we could own 20 properties like him, wouldn't that be something if we could do it?" And he was the millionaire next door. So, what other models that we've we seen and looked at, and things that you see, Jeff?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, there's the uh, the short-term model that I think has been didn't necessarily exist when you know 12 years ago, but the Airbnb short-term rental model, vacation a uh, whole model, fantastic model. We've uh, we, we've looked at that it's not our model. Um, one of the things we've learned and we kind of joke about this is because we're so committed to the brand, the model, the, the neighborhoods, the community, our product and, and what we do, what we've learned is we are really, really good at that from years and years of exercise and practice, but we suck, like are terrible at what we don't know. And that's a that's a, that's a model that, that we don't know, but I think there's you know, some people that are having some great success with that model. Yeah, and,
1: and so I, I, I did a vacation for a couple of weeks in Arizona and rented a, a big Airbnb for a couple of weeks and had family there. And I, and I called Josh in one of our regular meetings, hey, what opportunities are up? And I said, hey, this Airbnb is really something. I, I think there's something here. I think you have to find the right area, you have to find the right piece. I mean, if you do this right, your rents are higher bills But I'm gonna tell you something, the Internet wasn't working. Guess what? I didn't call Comcast. I called the landlord and said the internet's not working. The gas grill didn't have didn't have an extra propane tank. Um, the TV wasn't working, like all these things that when you rent a property, the, 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 the tenants responsible for that now you're responsible. So in exchange for higher rent, it's more turnover. You've got a the sheets and the laundry and the cleaning and it's just it's a different piece, but it's fascinating when you look at the numbers and what they could be if you can run that effectively because the rents are substantially higher when you break them down to a daily or weekly basis. One of the big things to worry about in that, uh, obviously, and we'll talk about that at the end of, of what we see as opportunities out there, is making sure that compliance and zoning allows for that. Um, the piece I like to look at is think about taxicabs 10 years ago and what a push there was and a pushback there was to allow for a, uh, what do you call it, um, order up my car, Uber or whatever else. And like what a big push that was and set to change. Right now, Uber is super commonplace to get your phone order Uber. 10 years ago, five years ago, it was, no, you can't. You have to get a taxi cab and municipalities fought that. Right now, on these seasonal, weekly, daily rental type things, who's fighting that? The municipalities are fighting it. The neighbors are fighting because they don't want the uh, uh, turnstile people coming in and out. So making sure that the municipality allows it, making sure the condo association allows it, making sure all that stuff. And that model just doesn't change overnight. So, so that is that's a model. I'll give you another model that we're not good at, but I, I I've seen others really good at it. it. It's it's utilizing the government programs that are out there uh, to help people um, get in housing. Uh, whether that's Section Eight or, or different government models, very few of our properties, um, our rents are higher than what the Section Eight allowances. So we don't do a lot of Section Eight, but not because we wouldn't, because the numbers just don't typically work out. We're happy to rent to anyone who wants to pay pay, pay the rents that we charge. Um, but the interesting piece is it's a completely different business model. You need to understand that system. You need to understand how the checks come. You need to understand what the tenant's rights are. You need to understand what your rights are as a landlord. And we're not good at that. We haven't done that. We don't have that of experience. But I watch some operators that are really good at that business. And their money comes every single month. Because guess what? The federal government's paying every single month. So that's a big thing. And that's a model. If you get into it and study it and you understand it, That that's what. What else do you have from the different models that we've seen?
2: Uh, I think it was about it, three or four different models there, Kevin. Yeah. Um, you know,
1: um, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll give you. i give you one right here. It is. Um, it's a guy uh, that one of our loan officers worked with for a lot of years here, um, and it's probably one of the nicest things that was that was ever said to me. One of our employees here at Credstone was, was buying a house, and he had a lot of anxiety over it and, and some angst. And uh, this close friend of mine, loan officer here pulled that individual in and said, hey, listen, did Kevin say to buy it? He said, yes. Okay, cool, Um, buy it. What do you mean, if Kevin said to buy it, buy it. This loan officer here at Treadstone is a millionaire. And he said, I am a millionaire today because Kevin made me buy my first rental property eight years ago. I now own eight rental properties. His portfolio is worth $1.5 billion he owes $500,000 on that. That is going to pay him an annuity the rest of his life when this is paid off, that he's making ten dollars to $15,000 every single month, rest of his life, and he has a $1.5 million asset. One of the nicest things that anyone has ever said to me. So he says to me all the time, hey, I'm so thankful for, for, for you for, for teaching me that. And I say, Wade, I talk to people like that all the time and very few of them take action. You took action, you made it happen. Awesome job. So, um, I think that's the model. So for him, he found an area uh, in town that he liked a lot. Bought another one. Bought another one. Bought another one. So his group of properties he owns maybe um, nine properties all within a mile of each other. So and and and, and very much along that that model of someone that's going to come in, move in, stay there, be there for a longer period of time. So that's a little bit of that. Let's talk about our 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 model and what our model is. So so our model is. We talked about a model where you don't have a lot of turnover, where you have a tenant that's going to be there maybe for 10 years or 15 years, and that really was intriguing to me. We went to a different model. We went to a model that we're going to give more amenities, we're going to create some things like uh, great appliances, off-street parking, some different things, proximity areas we're in, but we're going to ask for a higher rent. In exchange for the higher rent, we have a number of obstacles. So the obstacles are, if you're working with young professionals, college kids, that younger demographic that gravitate towards our product, they turn over faster. And when they turn over faster, the downside is you gotta move people and move people in and out a lot. So that's a big thing. So one of the things as we walk through our model, we need to be ready for quick turnovers and have groups coming in and going. So one of the big things we want less moving parts and higher quality items. An example would be we chose to put granite in all of our uh, all of our properties. We have granite in all of our properties. My wife said to me, we have Formica in our house and you had granite in your metal properties. This is ridiculous. So we found a cost-effective granite and we looked at that because the wear and tear, because a cigarette burn doesn't get on the countertop, or a toaster, or it leaks, or the sink's leaking. These are little things that these are little things that have less moving parts. We have very little carpet in all these properties. I mean, little to no carpet. Why? Because those wood floors, while they cost more originally, it's quicker for the turn time. What else, Josh?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's another, like when you say wood floors, it's three quarter inch solid hardwood floors. Uh, The LVTs have come a long ways since 10, 8, 10 years ago, but solid hardwood floors. They're easy to sand, buff, and polish. Um, Kevin, your college experience was a little bit different than mine. So you had a better insight to this when we were building this. Yeah, but, yeah. Josh, Josh was building spec homes and I was doing KC. So uh, <laughs> those
1: would be a little bit of a difference between between. So, and college.
2: But to that point, yeah, you had the experience great. to say, hey, we're going to do all electric stoves because you got that smooth glass top. And my, I don't necessarily love cooking on electric smooth top, but I'll tell you they're a lot easier to clean than the macaroni and cheese and whatever else between tenants hauling out all the gas components and pieces of that. No microwaves. We don't we don't have microwaves because the handles break, the buttons break, the, the things blow up in there and they're a pain in the neck to clean. My
1: kids, my kids don't put a paper plate over the spaghetti sauce. So surely our tenants aren't gonna put a paper plate over the spaghetti sauce. And you know what? it's $30 for a microwave at, at, at Walmart. And someone's not gonna run a property because we don't have a microwave. Um, another little piece, we, we, uh, we pulled the garbage disposals out. We stopped putting garbage disposals in. We got sick of maintenance calls to pull beer caps out of, out of garbage disposals. Um, think about those of you who have kids, go to your kids' bathroom that they use and open up the drawer where the toothpaste is and what are you gonna see in the bottom? It's a bunch of toothpaste and it's gunk and it's yuck and even though you had a shelf liner and it's still, it's still leaked. These are your kids in your house that you're in charge of. Imagine what a four college kids or young professionals, whatever, come to go, imagine what those cabinets look like. So literally in our bathrooms, we have a lot of open shelving in our bathroom. Use a rubber container, put your stuff there, close it up, less moving parts. Our doors, tired of fixing drywall repairs from a door handle going through the back with drywall from a door being opened up too much. So we put big blocks and rubber grommets on the back. So for our model, these are a couple little things. Another one is, is you don't have to have every house painted different on the inside. We have our standard spec paint colors. If I need to touch up a property on Main Street or South Street or North Shore, it's literally the same paint color. It, it, it doesn't change, it's the same paint color. So I think, Finding your model, finding what it is. Um, We have to have off-street parking. Off-street parking, it's a big thing. 95% of our properties have off-street parking. Uh, We look at, as we get into urban infill and people move in the area, we want them to have parking. We wanna be less uh, disruptive in the neighborhood. Um, We generally buy properties where our surrounding landlords, are their surrounding landlords, and it's a, a rental area. We've owned some properties in the past where Maybe it's more owner-occupied, and our tenants kind of stick out like a sore thumb. we We don't want to be we don't want to be um, an issue for the neighborhood. We do not have problems with small yards. Small yards mean less lawn to cut, less space. We don't have a problem with busier streets. Busier streets are fine; it doesn't bother us. What else did you have on that list?
2: Uh, that, I think you hit it. Busier streets. What I was just going to say, um, you know, bathtubs. We don't have a lot of bathtubs by design. So if we're gonna renovate a renovate a bathroom, um, showers are, uh, you can get, especially in some of these older, smaller homes, you can get more efficient with, with those with those designs, so. Um, so one of the
1: things in our demographic we've gotta work with a lot too, is that maybe you've got some student loan money coming in. Maybe we need to pay in advance or give someone a little grace and a little latitude because we wanna pay a chunk of money at a time or stretch it out. We allow for tenants to send four checks in, four separate checks to make up the total amount. So there's different things, but the whole point of that is, Figure out what is your thing um, and 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 take a look at that. Um, I think those were probably the biggest points. So the big takeaway on this, what's your model? What's your model going to be? You cannot be all things to all people. I think it's really important to find what you're good at and go after that and try it out and try it out once. And if it works, wash, rinse, repeat. The older people remember this commercial. Wash, rinse, repeat. The Pro commercial. Uh,
2: yeah, I, I think I... We should probably stay here too, Kevin. It's we built a fantastic team. We've got eighteen people that come come work this business and work for us every single day. And I think that's another piece of our model is that high care, high customer service, professional. Uh, you know, you look at the Google reviews type of type of a thing. So just we're on So yeah, fantastic. I think I think we covered that we're, we're we're biased, but I think we covered that well.
1: Well. Here's the thing. We wouldn't be in this business model if the market didn't allow us to get into this business model. The market created an opportunity that we took advantage of. Um, I'm a Grant Cardone guy. I listen to Grant Cardone. He's a little obnoxious at times, but there's some really good stuff there. And I like what he said.
2: I'm saving. I'm saving a bunch of money. I don't know what I'm saving for yet, but I'm saving a bunch of money.
1: So as you look at saying, I have interest in this, is finding... What's your opportunity be? What do you think you like? What are you studying? What are you preparing for? So for me, it was eight years of looking at deals coming across my desk. Wow, I could probably swing by and this a couple thousand dollars floating on. I could probably, especially back then, I could do a a zero down crazy uh, stated income program or something like that. But, But I didn't do it. So I continued to study, continued to look. Um, I knew I wanted to be in
2: the space at some point. I also knew that I didn't want to be in the flipping business. I learned that as Josh and I got in the business.
1: I didn't want to be in the flip business. I didn't want to be in the spec business because the piece of this is this. Really simple. Would you rather make $30,000 once so for Josh and I it gets divided by two. We pay capital gains on it. So at the end of the day I'd rather make something than nothing but that's option one or would you rather make a year for the rest of your life. And and that's really what that's like. It's delayed gratification. So if I can buy it, if I can own it, if I can put a tenant in there and I can have that tenant pay it off over a period of time, I'm gonna have an income stream for the rest of my life. Um, So that kind of leads well into uh, our second point we're gonna cover today. It's all about debt reduction and not quitting your day job. It is all about debt reduction, not quitting your day job. Real estate is a side hustle for me. Real estate is a side hustle for Josh. I spend four hours a month in the business right now. Josh spends more than that in the business right now, but I spend about four hours a month right now. It is a side hustle for me. It is a side hustle for Josh. So I think that's a big thing. So there's really four ways of making money in real estate. And we'll talk about those. We'll talk about debt reduction, everything else. But the first thing, depreciation. So you're gonna buy a home. we're gonna let it grow in value, um, same way that I looked at candy bars that they did at the grocery. Store, I go, what, a dollar fifty for a candy bar? Used to go buy those for fifty cents. not I feel like an old guy talking about fifty cent candy bars. My parents told the same story with five for a dollar. Anyways, in the same way, the house is gonna appreciate value. The house is gonna move up in value over time. It will appreciate. At what time and what space? But it will appreciate. Our model. <laughs> When we went and met with bankers, hey, we want to refinance this loan, we want to get these done. They didn't allow us to build appreciation or model. Appreciation is the cherry on the top. I don't think you should jump in to a property planning on appreciation. I think appreciation is the cherry on the top. I think if you say appreciation is going to uh, grow at a level that hopefully surpasses inflation, I think that's great, but it's a cherry on top. So that's number one. Number two, you buy property for cash flow. I don't like buying property just for cash flow. I want to be cash flow positive. I want to get to the spot that we can pay debt down. I want to get to the spot that, that, it, that we're making money, that we're not losing money. Number three, uh, tax savings. And number four, our big piece is loan pay down. Our piece is loan pay down, loan pay down, loan pay down, loan pay down. That's our big thing. We want to cash flow enough to pay our loan down to pay it over, uh, over a period of time. The model we talked about earlier that we feel was a big, the biggest contributor to the mortgage meltdown wasn't bad mortgages, wasn't little ladies getting thrown out of their house. It was landlords who ran the just cash flow, stretch it out, pay the minimum, and, and grind that out. And that was done through paint and carpet, throw some lipstick on a property, do as little as you possibly can, throwing any tenant in there that, that, that can do it. And th- that's what led to that. So, Josh, talk about debt reduction, kind of what our overall model is, and we look at numbers, and we look at
2: things, and how we kind of evaluate some of those deals. Yeah, how we evaluate deals, uh, yeah. how we look at it, this way, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we uh, take a look at it, and we use the 1% 100, 100 times monthly rent rule, right? Um, some of you have probably heard of it as 1%. So we always say 100 times monthly rent. So example- 100 times rent.
1: monthly rent, so it's a real simple example. Just use simple math, $200,000 house to get $2,000 a month. 2,000 divided by 200,000 is 100. So everything else being the same, if you just collect the rent for 100 months, you would be at your at your $200,000 fully improved number. So 100 months of rent, what we said for years, 1% is effectively the same thing. Yep,
2: and when you look at that, you can put a whole spreadsheet together, and we often do, but I'll tell you, when you use the 100, uh, 100 times monthly rent. It will. It, it's going to be cash flow positive, right? And it, that's with your debt reduction and on a, on a 15 year note. So that's the, when we're looking at an investment, that's like our, like just early on, you see something hit the market or you're looking at something, what's the rent? Uh, the rent's $8,000 a month in this multi-unit or the rent's, you know, I, I think it's a four bedroom and it can rent for $2,000 a month or whatever that is. We will very quickly size up that deal by looking at that and saying, okay, rents for $2,000 a month uh, is probably worth somewhere around $200,000. Okay, then we go our levels deeper. Where is it, right? Is it is it in within a mile of downtown where we want to be? Does it have parking? What are the bedroom sizes? What, what's the leaseability, rentability of this thing? But that is our model that we built the whole business on just real quick quick, and then you layer in the different pieces of the decision-making process.
1: Yeah, so high level, um, house is $180,000, run through it, it needs about $20,000 to get things up and running, Uh, so I'm $200,000 all in, if we can generate $2,000 a month, that's that 1% number, so just getting to a super high level and taking taking a look at things. we didn't, think we, did. we didn't talk about this in our model, but I think this is worth talking about right now because I don't want to miss this. A lot of our properties are single-family homes. Josh and I both feel that the single-family home is still an underpriced asset class. Um, everyone wants to do multi multifamilies. Everyone wants to find a two-unit, four-unit, whatever else. Single-family house is still a, a very good asset class when you look at it that way so if you use these numbers and you take a look at it look at two units but also don't be afraid to look at to look at at, at at one unit.
2: Kevin there's a question that someone put in there about you know do we have any sort of benchmark or time frame that we're trying to reduce debt or get uh, distributions or get our imbat- initial investment paid back I think it's um, I think I think it's important to note that with the model and the debt reduction, when we started this business and it's still the same model today, we we set ourselves up for success by not quitting our day job, right? This is the this is the brake pedal in me, right? I wanted layers of protection. So layer of protection number one was don't quit your day job. Layer of protection number two was to reduce debt. So I think you know what eleven out of the last twelve. 11 out of 12 months for the last 10 years, you and I have had good day jobs because we write checks into our business every single month.
1: Okay, you never understand that. 11 out of 12 months, we both have to put money into this business to keep it afloat. And the reason is, because we are so committed to debt reduction, we would rather err on the side of being committed to being debt-free in another six or seven years will be about 85% debt free. We're so committed to that, we would err on the side of us writing a check into the business to make that happen. Because that's the that's the light at the at the at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully it's not a train coming at us, but that's the light at, at the end of the tunnel. So the one month we were so excited four or five years ago is not only did we um, uh, have to, we, we typically have to pay in 11 or 12 months. And the cherry on the top was, we had to write a check to the IRS because we were pounding down debt so fast. That is income, that is taxable income through our LLC. So it passed us through. On paper, we made all kinds of money. Guess what? It wasn't there. It wasn't the checking cut, it wasn't there. So we had to uh, not only pay into it on a monthly basis, we had to turn around and pay, uh, pay at the end. Over the course of several years, we tweaked the business, we fixed some things, we raised rent, and we were so excited to write a check 11 months, but on that 12 month, we got a big enough distribution check to cover the majority of our tax consequences. That was a really, really big thing.
2: Yeah, and I think it's just a mindset change that that, that, that we've had with that, right? From, from the get. and I think it's a mindset change maybe against the norm you know, everybody says, hey, put $500 a month away, put, uh, you know, $250 a month away in the stock market or whatever, and just do that forever. Well, okay, that's great, you can do that in the stock market. We looked at it very much as this is an investment account. And so they're investment properties, you put money in, yes, money is going to come out someday, right? But this is our model, it's gonna come out someday. But much like your stock market account or your 401k or your Roth or your IRAs, whatever they are, you put money in month after month, after month, after month, that's an investment. It's no different with real estate. So to think that you can buy something and then invest in it and get 200 or $500 a month to go spend, you wouldn't do that most typically in the stock market in your your retirement or investment account. So we re-looked at that very much the same way, and we're never happy to write those checks, but looked at it very much as we're building a future here. We don't, we're gonna keep our day jobs to pay the bills and keep the food on the table, and we are monthly making an investment if we have
1: to. Fair way to put it, Kevin? Great great way to put it. And when you got into investments, it got me thinking about something we, we had just talked about a couple of days ago. I mean, taking a walk down memory lane. So Josh is on the different end of the spectrum. So now we break the gas pedal. Josh has three very young kids. I have an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old right now. One's in college, the other one's getting getting ready to, to be off to college next year it was early on when Josh and I started buying some properties and um, together and running the phone group of our whole portfolio, Josh and I own probably 90% of everything together. We've got a handful of properties. I own a handful of properties that he owns. Well, a couple of these properties that my wife and I own separate from, from what we own collectively had a conversation with my wife 10, ten years ago. And, and at the time my, my, my kids are seven and eight, five and six, somewhere in that range. And I said, Hey, not even knowing that tuition would increase as fast as what it has for the last um, uh, 10, 12 years, but looking at it, say we're not putting enough money away in our 529 or 529 or, or whatever it is. And um, I want to help the kids uh, go to college. I, I want to do that. I want to make a commitment to help them in some way. And I don't want them to come out of college with a bunch of debt. And, and I don't think we're putting up. we're not putting enough money away in or 529. So I made a choice of instead of putting, 5,000 or 10,000 into uh, a 529, we chose to put five or $10,000 into buying a property that was in pretty good shape already. It didn't need a lot of work, it was in the right area. I, I knew the area, I felt good about it. And then we bought that and we found another one six months later. So I bought these two properties. The goal was for these properties that I was gonna pay down quite a bit of debt over 10 years. And in 10 years, I could sell the property, take that, that, that principal reduction money I had, Maybe a little bit of appreciation. Again, that's the sharing the top. And I could turn around and, and help pay for college, maybe even pay for college for four years. The reality is rents continue to go up. And the reality was my wife and I were committed to paying this asset down as fast as we could. So fast forward 10 years later, got one kid off to college. I didn't have to sell the house that we looked at for his college. And I don't have to sell one for my other kid's college because I own it free and clear. Not only do I own it free and clear, that is kicking off enough rent to pay for his college out of the rent cash flow. And I still own the asset with my wife. So we now own this $300,000 asset that's free and clear, that's kicking off money to send our kids through college. So that's an example about being committed to investment. So yes, I had to write checks in month. Yes, I had some down months. Yes, I had to put the new furnace in. Yes, I had to do these things. But I looked at it as an investment. Instead of a 529, I used leverage to buy that and to pay that down. Cool? Cool. What else yep. do you want to cover on that? Uh, Time reduction, don't quit your day job. Yeah, I think it's set
2: yourself up for success. You guys, you, guys, you guys got to figure out where your comfort level is and what that looks like and what your layers of protection are. Those are just the two layers of protection that we chose. Kevin said a bunch of times the appreciation. Never built it in the model. Quite honestly, Kevin, we don't even think about that now like I, we look at it like once a year or whatever, but like we don't build appreciation. in. so I think, I think it's just important to have levels of protection um, uh, to protect yourself and protect your investment.
1: Um, so we're through, we're through a couple parts. we get to our third point. So why don't we field a couple of questions here that related to some of the stuff before we get into the last thing when we talk about kind of some opportunities that we see out there, things that we talk on a regular basis. Then at the end, we're going to we're going to talk about it, the, the million dollar model and how we think things work, work out. So this is from Ashley, good friend of mine, Ashley. Any suggestions on how to make a side hustle for someone that owns about four rental units? So for me, um, knowing my strengths, my weaknesses, when I when I got in and started buying rental properties, I wanted to get to a scale to where we could bring in our own people. We could have our own leasing manager, our own maintenance guys and get big enough to make that happen. I absolutely 1000% would hire a leasing manager. I would hire a leasing manager to run my property. Um, The reason why I'd hire a leasing manager on my property because I have a good day job. It is a side hustle. I want to dedicate an hour a week, two hours a week, a few hours a month to do that. So I would want to look at the numbers and say, find a good leasing manager who can run that property, and manage that property. I want to have regular meetings with that that manager. Here's the downside of a property manager compared to Josh and I being able to manage it ourselves. No one cares about your property more than you. Why, why, why am I getting a better return on my uh, TD Ameritrade account, ch- trading a couple of dollars in my financial advisor? I'll tell you why. I care more about my money. I look at my money every single day. So that's kind of the downside. You guys probably all know property managers out there. I think it's great to find a property manager to hire it out and outsource it. Maybe you want to sweat equity, do work in between tenants, do different things, but I think, I think finding someone is, is, is a good piece. Josh, your thought on that?
2: Yeah, I think you hire a property manager. I think you interview a couple, two, three, you find a good one. I think it starts with setting up and being committed to your business model and knowing where, where your properties are, what they are, um, and finding a property manager that is also values what you value. Um, but I also think, you know, yeah, you got you to manage your expectations on that and set that relationship up for success from the very get-go.
1: If I were working property manager, I'd ask them, I'd ask them how many units do you have vacant right now you're trying to rent. I might even secret shop and then call and say, Hey, this is uh, Joe. And I'm looking for a four bedroom. What, what, what do you have out there? If this property manager has a bunch of vacancies, how's my property going to be different than any other vacancies? So I, I think that's big uh, question from Sherry. How do you determine what improvements to make um, from a budget standpoint, also with your college areas? Do you accommodate house function, change rooms, et cetera? So Couple things that what we found in our business model is that having when you have three or four different individuals running a house together instead of uh, instead of uh, a family group. I mean, if my ten-year-old kid, hey, that's your bedroom, and eight-year-old kid, that's your bedroom, that's it. Don't complain about it. Tough luck. When you've got three people or four people sharing pro- sharing property, you want to make sure that your amenities are similar. So for us, it's less about the, the size of the bedrooms as the bedrooms are the same size would be would be one thing we've looked at. Um, as far as the budget and the things we do, we are good at making investments of things that are going to pay off down the road. The granite countertops, the wood floors, the bumper on the back of a door, uh, a good concrete driveway, less moving parts that's going to cost us less over a longer period of time. So we will invest in things that are going to last for a long period of time. Like we love doing a concrete porch on a house, a big concrete porch, why concrete instead of wood? Less moving parts, cost more upfront, but it's done and it's done and it's fixed. No one's going to fall through and it's not going to break a cigarettes, not going to burn in it, whatever it is, is that goes to the thing. What, what else do you have? Along yeah, I, the
2: I, think, I, I think we have a uh, deep market knowledge and market study because of uh, how we study the market all the time and because we have a couple hundred units. Um, but I think we missed something too, a little bit. And that is that when we built this model, we said, if we wouldn't live there, we wouldn't rent. And so, uh, Sherry, I think that's a piece that when you talk about what improvements you're going to make, what would you like to see in a property? Uh, and what is that? What's important to you? Because most typically what's important to you and what you value, uh, tenants are going to value as well. So
1: really, really, really big thing in our business model. If we wouldn't live there, we're not going to run it. We have bought properties before that I've walked in and it was squalor. And we bought it, tenant in there. It's rough. It is, it's like someone should have called child social services for it on paper that property was great on paper that return was there on paper i should have done nothing other than we should have continued to grind out rent it's not the way we're going to run our business if we wouldn't live in it we wouldn't own it doesn't mean i don't doesn't mean i want to live in an 800 square foot one bedroom apartment but it means the quality has got to be there. Um, it's got to be clean. It's got to be something that we're proud of. If we're not going to do it, we're, we're not going to do it. So that goes into budget as well. Along those same lines, if I can't walk down the street at 2 in the morning without worried about getting killed, I'm not interested in buying the property. I want my tenants to feel safe. Um, I want to um, have an area that I would live in, in a house in an area that I would be in and a place that I would feel comfortable and safe and everything else. Those are a couple of our parameters, and that falls into to what our model is. Um, we build new homes. So that's a great question. So, um, the question from Paul is, um, you build new homes. How do those investments compare on paper after five years to buying and, and rehabbing? A couple of years ago, <laughs> the answer was it was a lot easier. The construction costs, Josh, you said, so one of our meetings, we looked at lumber costs recently. Lumber costs have tripled in the last six months. Yeah. Talk about a lumber package going up three times the price. So it's crazy. I will tell you the advantage a couple years ago, and and everything ebbs and flows, right? So construction is super expensive right now. Will it come back down a little bit? Josh says no. We got a lot of tradespeople that are out of the business. It's getting tough to find people in the trades. He thinks the price are going to still continue to go up. I think material costs are going to come down. But I think it comes off a little bit. The advantage of building in our model is we're building something with less moving parts so so an example is uh, one of the property we built it's a raised slab so we we build it and it looks like every other house the neighborhood it doesn't have a basement and here's the thing no one's ever come in and said i'm going to rent your house because you have a basement or you don't have a basement so we built without a basement that probably saved us what ten thousand dollars yeah 10, fifteen thousand bucks yeah ten fifteen thousand in addition when we poured that floor guess what we did we stained the concrete floors. The first floor is that concrete industrial look. So now we don't have floor coverings. We don't have wood. We don't have tile. We have got concrete floor. So little pieces like that. Um, we we put the windows we wanted, and we put the furnace we wanted, and we put the we put the everything built we wanted, and we really made a space that we could build three exact size bedrooms or four exact size bedrooms. So the maintenance costs are next to nothing on these because they were built really well up front. That's the, that's the biggest advantage. Do you have an ROI number on what that looks
2: like? Uh, I, I, I don't. I don't know that we've ever compared them, but I can tell you, you know, with the model that we have, it, you're paying down debt. So after five years, you know, I think so it still fits. Very- so, um, so probably,
1: Paul, probably the best answer is when we got done building these, they still fit our one percent model or darn close. And if it was a little bit higher than that, we were OK because we knew that our portfolio, we're making some more money over here. This is gonna be a little less money as far as profit, but there's gonna be less moving parts and it's gonna be long-term, it's gonna be going to be easier to handle. Uh, as far as the specific property manager, uh, Ingrid had asked that. If you guys have someone for her that you recommend, I think it's great. Uh, I don't have a specific property manager uh, that I recommend. Um, I don't have anyone. I think there's some great ones in town. I think it's probably like, um, divorce attorneys or probably like financial advisors or probably like mortgage loan officers. There's good ones and there's bad ones. Um, I think just finding who, who meets your needs and vetting them I, I think is uh, super important. Um, funding. Let's talk about funding.
2: Are, fund, are we funding all our own down payments or are using other people? All right, on?
1: so let's talk about funding. So we talked about this early on. Had some people clicking on it later. Josh and I did not start in third base. We are pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. More than once in our, our 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 last 12 years in our overnight success story, we have been all in all the chips on the table. So from a funding standpoint, this is how we piece this together. We built this off of about $150,000 of debt. Yeah, something like that. $150,000 of debt, maybe 200, and I'll tell you where the sources came from. The sources came from a loan from my 401k. The sources came from all the equity I could squeeze out of the house. The sources came from all the money in my checking and savings account. And the exact same thing from Josh. We were so sure that this was the time to do it. We pushed it all in, and we did it. When we ran out of that money, went to my parents, and I said, "Mom and Dad, hey, I want to borrow some money." Sure, honey. How much do you want? No problem. Like, okay, Mom and Dad, you're heading towards retirement. I'm I, I, I'm paying you a 10% interest rate. Oh, honey, you don't need to pay us 10%. Just give. I I am paying you 10%. Not only paying you 10%, when I borrow $100,000, I am signing a note and a personal guarantee. Josh is signing a note and a personal guarantee. The next level that I did with a couple investors, I gave them a quit claim deed to the house. There is no mortgage on this house. They trust me enough to lend me $100,000 at a 10% interest rate. I need to trust them enough with a quick claim deed that now gonna go down and record the deed to the property and I'm, I'm out of this thing. When they got paid back, I paid them their money, paid them the interest, so if it took a year, I paid the 100,000 plus the 10, I paid $110,000 back and I said, hey, can I get my quick claim deed back? Because we need to refinance this property and rip that quick claim deed up. Um, had a buddy from college that had done really well financially and I talked to him, I go, hey, the you interested in putting some money to work? He goes, yeah, what, 5 6%? I said, I'm paying 10. He goes, you don't need to pay me 10. I go, I'm paying 10. This is going to work well for me. It's going to work well for you. So he's someone that I've reached out to over the years when we were jammed up and we needed a little cash we needed to get to, to get something done. So literally, it started with 150 of our cash, 401ks, retirement, and home equity lines of credit, and we built the, the pieces to buy it, fix it, refinance it. You can talk about years ago, hey, it must have been great to buy those properties really cheap and do that work. Let me give you the downside of what happened years ago. Do you think any bank wanted to lend any money to a couple of knuckleheads like us that got this great idea? We're going to own some rental properties and it's going to be great. We're going to go after this asset class and we think it's underserved and it's going to be great. The answer is hell no. They just got done foreclosing on hundreds of properties in their portfolio. It was the number one thing they talked about at all their branch meetings or their, 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 their senior meetings, like how many properties are we going to do, how do we get rid of these? The last thing to do is give us any money. So if we got someone to give us money, which we did, it was only after we paid cash. It was only after we renovated, and it was only after we had a signed lease. It was only after we collected the first month, in addition, Property values were crap even after we finished it up and they would only give us 60% of what we had into the deal. So we ended up upside down every single one of these deals. Compare that to today. If you can scrape up a hundred and let's, let's say, let's say um, do some math, uh, $180,000 house. You find some way of buying that, whether you get a mortgage for the 180, put down a, a, a 25% down, you buy that, you, you borrow some money from a friend or family member, you get $20,000, six months later, you look at properties every single day. Six months later, you can refinance that and get cash out up to seventy-five percent of the appraised value. We all know that a fully improved, nice house in a market like this, where buyers are tripping over each other, it's not beyond the realm of possibility to buy it for one eighty, put twenty thousand into it, appraise at two fifty, get seventy-five percent of your money back, and you only have thirteen thousand dollars into the whole deal. So there's advantages and disadvantages where the market is right now. I hope that answers your question. So yes, other people's money, for sure. We don't have to do that anymore, which is great because talk about debt reduction too. Buy property one, property two, property three. We are all about debt reduction. We're all about paying it down. It is more important that you get one property paid down to zero than to pay all three of your properties down at the same time. And here's the reason why the bottom falls out, something bad happens, life happens, whatever it is, you can sell that one asset that's free and clear and you can take that cash and move it. You can go get an equity line against that one property that's free and clear and you can use it. And even if the value goes from 200,000 down to 150, you can still borrow on that asset that's free and clear. If you've got three properties that you paid down equally over time and equity drops and the market changes and some catastrophe happens, you can't access that cash. So when I talk about debt reduction, we talk about debt reduction. It's super important to really focus on paying down these properties and gradually work on that as you move forward. True, Josh?
2: Yeah, very true. Tackle one, them tackle one at a time, or one uh, yeah, yeah one one property at a time. Get okay, it paid cool. up. let's uh, let, let's let's
1: move on to the next section. A couple of these questions, uh, opportunities to in the market and around Grand Rapids to consider. We're going to talk about that. It really feeds well into that question from Mallory. Do you think there's opportunities in the current market? to buy around Grand Rapids considering how prices have skyrocketed um, or is there anything else you suggest? Mallory, it's like you threw me a softball. Mallory is a softball player uh, in high school and college. So thank you for that softball. It feeds really well into our last point. Ideas for what to buy today. So we have time in our calendar to meet and to talk and to brainstorm, to talk about the business in a high level. What's going well? What's not going well? Our, our internal joke is TFG is the focus Group. What do what we have right now? TFG 6.0? Yeah, 8.5, 8. 8.0. Right. So <laughs> it's like, hey, we're going to redo it. It's, it's, it's TFG 2.0, and then we change some things around to 3.0, and 5.0, and 6.0. So part of this thing is that we meet on a regular basis. What's going well, what's not going well? What do we need to change? What do we need to work on? What do we improve? What opportunities are out there? So the opportunities, we talked a little bit about it. Uh, one right now would be the airbnb business i think the vacation rental i think the airbnb i think shorter term rentals are are, are great Um, we looked at at one of our properties and we got close to looking at doing it and we found it just wasn't right at the end of the day we weren't built for it we weren't built for it with the moving parts with the cleaning crews with people in and out uh, the potential hurdles with city and municipalities and and just it wasn't right for us at the time But I think that's that's potential for being a really good business. So we talked about having turnover, um, turning over our tenants once a year. Imagine turning over tenants every week or every four days or or several times a month. Your rent numbers are dramatically higher. I mean, the property that we looked at, we were gonna make three times the amount of rent compared to what our model was. We were gonna have more expenses to it, but we're gonna, the revenue's gonna be that much higher. At the end of the day, we decided we just weren't ready to be an early innovator on that. But I think in finding the right community, whether it's lake home, whether it's, I've done a couple of mortgages for people up in the Luddington area where they, they bought a beautiful log home and a, on, on uh, 20 acres and it's got a barn and a log home and it's close to the, to the park and you can go to the beach and it's going to be really good rent. Um, when I look at that property, they're not going to have complaints because the next neighbor is 20 acres over. The municipality allowed for this. Um, I think I think that's a great model. What did you have when, when we talked about Airbnb that jumped out? And I talked about the cable and the internet and and different yeah. things that you're responsible for.
0: No,
2: I think I think it's a great model. I think you need to be built for it. I think you need to be committed to it. I think you can build a brand within Airbnb. You guys have all seen that. If you go to Airbnb, you know, you can see how one owner owns three or four properties and they have the same West Elm decor or the same whatever. So whether yours is Country Western or West Elm or Twenty-acre parcels or riverfront properties, and get a collection of three or four of them. To Kevin's point about the propane and the cable and whatever, just whatever that model is, be committed to it. Figure it out. Be smart about it. Less
1: moving parts, but I I, I love the model. It's just not our model. Um, I tell you another. I'll tell you another piece in what to buy today. Josh got asked this question a while back, and I'm going to ask you questions. I know someone asked you this, and you stewed on it for a couple of days. Josh is the thinker, so Josh was asked. If you could go back 10 years ago, what would you have done? And his answer applies to the market today. But what would you have done if you go back 10 years ago and buy properties again?
2: would have recognized that I would have, bought, we would have, I would have bought more properties that were in better shape that cost more than what we did. We were buying properties looking for the lowest of the lowest of the lowest type, type deal to fix up and, and renovate. Today, I think a lot of us might be in that same mindset trying to look for that. Reality is, I'm relatively certain over a 10-year horizon, let me ask the question, do you think homes are going to be worth more 10 years from now than they are today? I think everybody would say yes.
1: And, and especially so, in certain areas, if you can identify an area, if you doing what you do every day, is it close proximity to 131? Is it 96? The people moving out of the city, the people moving into the city. So taking your n- unique perspective and what you look at every day, and say, where do I think this market's going to do to outperform? And maybe buying something that you pay more money, that needs less work, that you're going to play a little bit of depreciation, of but it's still cash flows.
2: Yeah, and even if you're wrong, you didn't quit your day job, and you're reducing debt, you're paying down debt. So I don't think you're going to be wrong. Everybody on this call is professionals. You guys know those little market pockets where the opportunities are. Don't be afraid to 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 go and buy some stuff, even if it's a little bit higher price, a little bit better condition, a little bit whatever. Uh, create that market. So, so there's exactly. no one
1: high, 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 higher end higher end properties. So uh, so we we've, we've looked at this. We've talked about this. Is there a model for a three hundred thousand dollar furnished house? that gets leased on shorter-term rentals to the Spectrum Health of the World or other corporate uh, accounts or doctors that are moving in or what's the spot? Can you go buy a heritage home that would cost you a million dollars to build today, but you can buy it for $400,000? Can you get four or five, $6,000 a month in rent on a shorter time window, pay that debt down, own that asset? Um, we look at house prices. The point of the about house prices skyrocketing when you look at our average mortgage amount and our average price here in West Michigan is dramatically lower than most of these other parts of the country that are great places to live like West Michigan is. And if you look at that and say, our, our price is going to come down or our price is going to catch up with the rest of the country. I feel like our price is going to catch up with the rest of the country. We've got a great airport. You can tell it to While I live in Chicago, and and live in a $400,000 house. The the amount of people that are moving to this area say, oh my gosh, I can't believe what I can buy for only $400,000. So,
2: yeah, we did a study last week where I looked at um, county by county, the three or four county region around here and said, what's the average, what's the uh, nationwide average home sale price? And what is the county average home sale price? and you look at that and you're drilling down on that a little bit and saying where, where all those opportunities that the average national average sale price was 325 or whatever and i forget which county it was whatever new Ago county or ionia county the average sale price was uh you know one hundred ninety thousand, or whatever the numbers were i don't i don't have them but looking at opportunities like that and going out um is is, is a big big opportunity
1: we've looked at live work units in the past where we get a couple apartments upstairs maybe an office space uh, lower downstairs. We looked at micro units, (coughs) small housing. Small housing was all the the rage before COVID. Is small housing still the rage? I mean, if you don't have a space to, to, to work remotely and be on your Zoom meetings and everything else, is that case? It's probably not. I'm glad we didn't go all in on micro housing. We've talked about that over the last couple of years super small houses, super small footprint, super efficient, but but that might be a model that comes back at some point. People want to have less of a footprint and less of a footprint means a smaller house. Um, You know that that, that's a piece that that, that we have looked at. Um, Looking at areas that are underserved. So so what's underserved? Where is the market going to allow you to buy? To say, I want to give this, I'm going to look for something that's underserved. Is it an underserved uh, commuter area that's 20 minutes outside of Grand Rapids that, that's got highway access? Um, is there an area in some of the rural cities that say, boy, as expensive as house pricing is getting here in Grand Rapids, can I go buy in a little bit more of a rural area? And can I plan? Is that going to appreciate faster than Grand Rapids on a runoff? Is is a I mean, friends of ours that live in Atlanta or or California or these different markets that are these major commuter markets where they've got an hour commute. Guys, 20 minutes isn't that far of a commute when you look at what the rest of the world does as far as the morning commute. So maybe there's some opportunities in some betting communities and areas that you know outside of the market. Um, I looked at a couple commercial listings in Greenville the other day that I pulled up. I've got on a list to look at for Josh. Yeah, hey, these things make sense. I mean, right now a uh, a dentist office in Greenville is not doing really good, um, but at some point, there's going to be a dentist back there in that office. Um, so some of those things, I think, those are some different opportunities to look at. Um, just a couple ideas there. I want to, um, I want to share our million-dollar uh, Get Rich Slow program. We'll talk about that uh, here in a second. I want to just do, before we get into that, I want to do just a quick screen share, and I want to talk about who this is sponsored by. Um, Guys, we are super, super, super committed to only high quality, really intelligent mortgage professionals. We only have 14 uh, loan officers that are outside loan officer organization. If you're not awesome, you can't work here. These guys know these products inside and out. They can help your clients buy rental properties, whatever it is. So if you got anything out of this today, the way you can thank us is by working with one of your uh, mortgage professionals here. Uh, really good group. Um, I couldn't be happier. I I talk about this all the time. There is not a single person or organization that I wouldn't have work on a close personal family, friends deal or family member. It's a great group. So thank you all you Treadstone Loan Officers here for inviting everyone to come. Josh, let's jump in. I'll pull that slide up and let's talk about our Get Rich Slow program. Get Rich Slow. Doesn't sound quite as sexy as $400 and come to a one-day seminar and and learn how to learn how to make uh, make a million dollars overnight while you sleep all right I'm gonna do a screen share let's kind of walk through this walk through the numbers and walk through the bullet points and and kind of talk about this a little bit
2: yeah um, so this is just this is just a model that that we put together to explain kind of how, how our system would work if you guys chose to take it and run with it and make it happen and kind of our model so it's just a 10-year plan. You've heard Kevin and I say 10-year or 12-year overnight success. It, 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 when you, we all tend to uh, you know, overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what we can do in a year. And we all really underestimate the power of compounding and the power of a 10-year horizon. And When you look at things over a 10-year horizon or through a 10-year lens, it really changes the perspective on things. Um, so this is, this is just a simple plan that, 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 real, real easy down and dirty, down and dirty, um, buy one property, one property a year for the next three years. And then you stop buying all the properties being bought at a value or have a value of about 250,000, put 25% down on each one. So you got a starting loan about 187 guys the, the, the you guys are smart. So. It doesn't mean mean that you need to put the 625 cash down and save it and figure that out. You can put some sweat equity into it. You
1: could use your smarts. You the, could- the same math that I used earlier, Josh, was buying a house for $180,000, doing a mortgage on it, um, get the lowest down payment you can on a single-family house. You can get it as low as 15%. It dramatically is better at 25%, but buy a single-family rental house um, at one hundred eighty. dollars Put $20,000 into it. Um, you know the market. If you comp out and say this house done well is going to be worth uh, $250,000, fast forward six months later, you can do cash out and a refinance program. So, six months later, reach out to your so loan officer, hey guys, I'm ready to redo this. I want to get as much of my money back as I can. You're a real estate professional. And that appraiser comes out, hey, I, I, I respect what you do, you're very good at what you do, I'm very good at what I do, here's the comps that I pull. I think this property is worth 250,000 based on these sales. If it appraises at 250,000, you will get back 187,500. You bought it for 180, you put 20 into it, You at the end of the day, you got closer to $13,000 in that. If you repeated that three times in three years, you're only at $39,000 of your total equity that's in it. So so if not hey come up with 62,000 three times just just consider that. So
2: keep going Josh sorry. Yep, yep. and I think finance is on a 30-year mortgage but pay them down on a 10-year mortgage payment. Your goal is um, your goal is to break even on principal, interest, taxes and insurance only. This is just a model, right? So there's going to be other expenses, there's going to be some vacancy, there's going to be some uh, repairs, there's going to be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But that's that piece of if you have to, you don't know, quit your day job and you put some checks back into your investment, your investment property. So the goal is break even.
1: Uh, you I ran, some, I ran some numbers on that, just a high level number. So when you refinance this property in this example, and you take out a loan for 187.5, your 30 year payment, with taxes and insurance will be $1,400, okay? Making a 10-year payment schedule on your 30-year loan. We're taking out a 30-year loan, guys, because if things get bad, we can always step off the gas. We're taking out a 30-year loan because the difference between a 30 and a 20 and a 15 in the current market environment, it just doesn't make sense to constrain yourself to a 10-year payment. So take out a 30-year loan, It's $2,400, Josh, P-I-T-I, principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, $2,400 versus the $1,400 minimum gets your property paid off in 10 years. So it passes that 1% test, this example.
2: Yep. Perfect. Um, So making some assumptions on this plan, but basically, uh, you know, 3% property value increase. We all know that properties are going up more than that right now. But as we said before, it's a cherry on top. But I think historically over the last 100 years, it's something like 3%. So using 3%, using 3% rent rate increase, the second to last bullet. And assuming that you know your rents are 1%, so you're getting $2,500 a month on a $250,000 value two unit or a $2,500 a month on a single family. If That's the plan. That's the six or eight simple bullet points. The result in that, so let me just, you own three properties. You do it over three years, you hang on for 10 years, you're all about not quitting your day job and your principal reduction and building a model and finding these properties in zones and areas in a model that you like. The result is this at the bottom of the screen there. You got a million dollars worth of real estate. I've got a spreadsheet that got these numbers, right? You can do your own math, but um, you got a million dollars in, in total assets, you're gonna have about $100,000 left in debt if you paid them on a 10 year because obviously the third property you buy, you're only gonna be seven years into a 10 year payment. Uh, so you got $900,000 in equity. You got, you're got you knocking on the door of a million dollars in equity and value and $10,000 a month for the rest of your life in top line rent revenue. So it's just a simple, simple, simple plan.
1: So $10,000 top line revenue, Uh, fast forward, you got the properties paid off, you have $10,000 a year in taxes, you got $3,000 a year in in insurance. So let's call $12,000. So in essence, you have a $9,000 a year annuity that's paying you and you own a million dollar asset that's free and clear or really darn close to being free and clear. It's not sexy. It's not $400 for a one-day seminar. It's not selling anything. It's just what we've done, and we've done it on a bigger scale. The reason why we did it on a bigger scale, our goal was if we can get to 40 units, oh my gosh, we've arrived. Let's get to 10, let's see what it looks like. So if you do this and it works, you continue to grow and continue to move and continue to do that. Um, But it starts with that, that first step. So Let's field a couple of questions and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Be respectful of your guys' time. I really appreciate you guys sitting in. Um, walk through a couple of things. A million dollars today. A million dollars today. What would you do with it? Huh. Interesting, Paul. If I had a million dollars today, I would probably put it to work in the stock market using the rule of 72. So, completely opposed to the real estate piece. The biggest advantage with real estate is that I'm able to leverage. I'm able to put a small amount of down payment down, take out a bigger loan, have the tenant pay that down over a period of time. had a million dollars today, and I was, let's say, 30 years old, which I'm not. Uh, Warren Buffett, greatest investor of all time, said six uh, to 7% is what an investor should expect. The reality is, over the last 40 years, it's been 10%. So, the rule 72. Take 72, take 10%, divide by 72, every 7.2 years, that money's going to double. So from 30 to 37, it becomes 2 million, to 44, it becomes 4 million, to 51, it becomes 8 million, to 58, it becomes 16 million. I would put it to work, I'd put it in the market, and I'd let my financial advisor do it. If I had $10,000, I would probably look at trying to build some stuff to buy something that I can use leverage to buy some some real estate. do you know of any lenders that are giving equity lines on single family investment properties that are free and clear? The best option for that, Josh and I, um, back in the day, we went and met with how many, how many banks? So this is- this is Anybody
2: that take a meeting with us.
1: Yeah, great presentation. It was so great. I, I got done out of more than one meeting. go, Josh, we nailed it. This bank's giving us money for sure. They're, they love us, they love everything we do. And and the and the head guy in the commercial program said, I like you guys. This is gonna be great. This is gonna work. I'm like, okay, be close, back up the truck. Let's let's get the money. We get the call a couple of days later, hey, we went to committee and it's it's not gonna happen. So I'm sorry, it's not you, it's us. I felt like someone was breaking up with me. So um, the answer is develop a commercial relationship. So we are the answer for one to four units of investment properties on a case-by-case up to 10 units on investment property. The advantage of using a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac back product like Treadstone is going to offer to you or any of your clients is you can borrow money for 30 years. After you get to 10 units, and sometimes after four, if you don't like you to hire, you have to develop a commercial relationship. Here's the downside of a commercial relationship. They need your financials every single year. They're going to they're gonna lock your money in for maybe seven years. If you really twist some arms, maybe 10. So we met with these dozen banks. 10 of us told us no. Some of them did it really nice, some of them did it really bad. The couple that stayed with us, we stayed with them. So we have developed a relationship. The great thing about um, the commercial loan thing is that most of these commercial lenders, so if you go to a smaller community bank, commercial lender, they have some signing authority. So there is a chance that they will give you an equity line secured by a single family house or a rental property if you own it free and clear. The way that I would pitch it, I got this property, it's worth 200,000. I would like to sign a personal guarantee and I'd like you to give me hundred thousand dollars that I can borrow and I can use on a regular basis. If you develop a relationship with a commercial lender, there is a decent chance that you can get it. If They don't do it, go to the next bank, go to the next bank, or the next bank. Like us, we went to 12 different banks and two of us said yes. So, that would be my suggestion on, on getting any equity out. The second piece of that is you can do cash out on our investment properties. So, instead of borrowing at four and a half on a variable interest rate, if you're committed that I own this free and clear, I wanna get the money out and I wanna go put it to work, lock it in. Lock it in at a, at a three something interest rate, locked in for 30 years and take that money and put it to work somewhere else and know that you're gonna have set structured payment, you put that money to work somewhere else. So, that might be a little workaround there. Um, Yeah, great, great, great question from uh, OD. Um, so invalidating purchase beyond the quick and dirty, uh, what does it look like? So when I gave you guys those numbers, um, talking about what the PITI payment be, principal interest taxes and insurance, I use uh, 50 mils uh, multiplied by uh, hundred for the taxable value to come up with that. So I use the higher tax rate. It's something to be super conscious of. Do you work to know what your taxes are? not what they were, especially in an investment property. The municipalities are in a cash crunch. They are gonna assess those properties as fast as they can and get things done. When we do mortgage analysis for our clients, we tell them on a regular basis, hey guys, here's your payment. This is what your taxes are going to be in 2021 instead of what they were in 2020. So you have to use a non-homestead rate, you should take half your purchase price multiplied by the the piece. Our goal is to get to that 1% number or, or less. Josh, you see there question you wanna jump on? Um. Suggesting I'm buying the first-runner property, should we go owner-occupied, multi-family or single-family home, Stay in it for a while? Absolutely, love it. Share that with you. If you do not own a home right now, or maybe you own a home right now and say, you know what, I'm tired of this asset that I'm living in that's real for my head, I don't need all the space. I wanna go uh, be in a two unit, three unit, four unit. Yes. Owner occupied, you can buy a property for a very small down payment. Owner, owner occupied single family, maybe 3%, maybe 5% owner occupied. You buy that house, you move in the house, you live in that house. At some point down the road, if you decide to move on and buy your next house, you can move on and buy your next house. So that's a really great way to get in with a small down payment. There are some changes coming to multi-families. Pretty soon it's gonna cost 15% down for a two unit, three unit or four unit minimum. Um, even on an owner-occupied, so uh, with an FHA loan, still three and a half percent. Tough to get an FHA uh, program uh, approved from a, a listing agent these days, but I'll tell you what, we will close FHA programs as fast as we close every other one. We will call the listing agent; they're not as bad as they used to be. So that's a great option. Um, Matt, get, yeah. get rich slowly program. Uh, go ahead and email Matt Muscat. We uh, want to email Matt M at FredsillMortgage.com. Anyone that wants that. Uh, send a note and say, hey, great. Can you send me the Get Rich program? We'll send you just that ballpoint piece. Um,
2: Matt Muscat question. If you change property from uh, your name to your trust or LLC, does it trigger an SEB raise? Great question. I, I think the answer is no to that. Um, you will likely get a letter. We've, we've uh, moved. Well, we've moved properties from one LLC to another with a quit claim deed and basically checking that box on the property transfer affidavit that, hey, this is this is similar interest or whatever. Yeah, so there's
1: two parts to that question. One is, what does the city look at it as? You've got to show that it's the same owner. So if the ownership interest changes one LLC to another, that can figure itself and figure high taxes. The other part of that question is uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Guys, so for conventional mortgages, 99% of them are going to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Whether it's Bank of America, Chase, or Fred Stone, they're getting securitized and going to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac used to have a due on sale
2: clause that said if ownership changes, you sold it, you gave it to someone else, and you did a land
1: contract, you owe that back to us. In most cases, you're allowed to transfer it from an individual to an LLC. Talk to your credit loan officer, they'll answer questions on dues and don'ts, that process. But you are allowed to transfer that into an LLC under certain conditions. And, and anyone of our loan officers would be happy to look at your particular situation. Uh, and answering, answering that. Uh, recommendation about having a business partner. I am very, very fortunate in my life. I have two absolutely wonderful business partners. Brennan O'Driscoll here at Threadstone, we're coming on 17, 18 years of business partnership. Couldn't be happier. He compliments me, I compliment him. I couldn't go to work with me every day. He couldn't go to work with himself every day. Between the two of us, we think we built a world-class mortgage operation. Um, and I, And I love that. I would rather own half of something with someone that I can bounce ideas off of, collaborate, grow. I play nice with my business partners. Uh, I've probably been in six or seven uh, relationships with different partners and different ventures in my life at 49 years old. None of them ever went sour. We had deals that didn't work. We had deals that made money. We had things that we parted ways, but but we never left not as friends. Josh and I, we talked about this earlier, gas pedal and brake. I pushed him harder. He slows me down a little bit. Every once in a while, those roles switch, but I think it's if you can find the right partner that's bringing something to the table, I think that's big. Josh and I both bring two things to the table. If Josh didn't have a construction management degree, he would have been an accountant. I would have been a sales guy or a sales guy or a sales guy. So somewhere between the two of us is probably where where, where you need to be. Um, Typical cost to hire a property manager. I don't know those numbers. So for us at the Fulton Group, we do not manage anyone else's property we only manage our property um if i'm managing two properties for someone and um one of them not rented they've lost 50 percent of their income no one cares about your own properties as much as yours i don't want that burden if if we have 200 properties we don't have one rented it, it, it's cost of doing business so we just haven't done it it's not something we do well i do think there is an opportunity if you look at business opportunities you want to talk about a side hustle? Get your property manager on and get your side hustle because there are more people looking for high quality property managers than there are people to do it. So if your side hustle was get your property management on, take that money and say, I'm going to look at deals. I'm going to sell real estate. I'm going to do property management. I'm going to get a handyman. I'm going to get a bookkeeper. I'm going to get my QuickBooks. I'm going to run this. And then I'm going to buy some properties to add in my portfolio. That's what I see would be an opportunity. You don't cost Josh and what, what most of them pay.
2: Yeah, there awesome. is. I think it's 10, 10, 10% plus or minus. I think someone had, had posted that earlier in, in the thing here, but 10% plus or minus. But like anything, it, you got to find the right fit. And then you got to look at the other costs associated with whatever that 10% is. But uh, I, I don't know. I think I, think I don't agree. know
1: the difference between owning properties in a trust or an LLC. I think you want to talk to your um, financial planner and your whoever does your trust or your will, or whatever else, if you do that. Um, we did a thing that if I drop dead, um, my LLC transferred into the trust and Josh vice versa. So we figured that out, but that was sitting down and doing a trust with someone to figure out how that would work when we die, because it's, it's guaranteed it's going to happen. So we are at the, uh, two hours, uh, we are at the hour and a half, 90 minutes It went super fast. I hope you guys got some great content out of here. Um, journey, take the first step. We're here to help. Reach out to your loan officer here. They know all this stuff. We talk about this stuff all the time. We geek out about real estate. Um, so, want to help uh, any way we can. Just want to say thank you for taking time, guys. I hope you got some value out of this today.
2: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Reach out anytime.
1: All right. Thanks, Josh. Nice job. I feel like we're just having coffee together, like we do once yeah, a weekend. Here we go. All right. See you guys. Thank you.
2: See you guys. Thanks.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Marketing in Other Markets. If you enjoyed the content today and you want more of a follow-up, please let me know. I'm happy to connect you to one of our hosts, Josh Smith, who actively runs a consulting business where he helps realtors and other professionals master the art of passive income through optimizing their rental properties. Similarly, if you're looking for more marketing tips and tangible strategies, feel free to find my book on Amazon, The Tangible Action Guide for Real Estate Marketing. And as always, thanks for our sponsors, Treadstone Funding and Neighborhood Loans.